Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be giving you guys a holiday roundup of your favorite episodes from the last six months. We are kicking it off this week with the inspiring Stephanie Vayner. Stephanie is an Indigenous creator and the founder of Cottage Living and Style, and today she joins me to share her story of growing up on a reservation in Ontario, Canada. She is the granddaughter of a residential school survivor and the daughter of a day school survivor, and Stephanie reflects on her family life, her experiences growing up on the reserve, and the impact generational trauma has had on her and her family. We also discuss her experience attending a boarding school at an extremely young age and the lack of resources, funding, and attention given to individuals and families living on these reservations and how it often feels like they are a forgotten part of Canada. This is such an inspiring episode, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Stephanie, welcome to Invisible Scars. I am so excited to have you as a guest today. You are somebody who I actually met at the Jilly Academy at the farm last September. I seen you wandering around there. There were so many of us there, but like right off the bat, your first impression is like, who is that gorgeous, stunning human? Like you were just so beautiful, so beautiful. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much. Honestly, it is such an honor to be here, to even be asked to speak here today with you. I think I went back and forth about sharing so much of my story and part of like my own healing journey is to just live that truth and share that truth. So thank you. Totally. You're welcome. You know, I think it's so important. One thing I've learned through my healing journey is hearing other people talk about it is so empowering. Like the things that I was ashamed about the things I felt, the things I thought, um, other hearing other people think and feel those exact things is one of the most empowering things I've ever felt. Like the shame just kind of disappears, right? A hundred percent. And I think too, like there's a lot of like negative connotations about social media, but I think that there's so much good in it as well, because I mean, we'll get into that as well, but I mean, living in such a close community like I did, there was absolutely nobody to talk to. Yeah, no connection. And I, I know that you felt the, yeah, I know that you felt the same way because everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And social media has really opened up that door to like a whole new world and connections with other people that are just like you. Yes. So like, I'm, it, it's been like a really impactful thing in my life as well. For sure. And I want to talk about that a little bit before we get into the episode, um, your social media presence. So you are an Indigenous creator. You're the founder and editor of Cottage Living and Light and Style. You have the most beautiful Instagram, the things that you share. It is so stunning. And I would love to know how you got started on that. What opened that door for you? Thank you. So this is actually right after teaching, just before like COVID. I've always been kind of into like the on online media space. Um, I started a YouTube like long time ago. I ended up like deleting a bunch of stuff because I felt really self-conscious. I was like, people from my small town, they started noticing and I'm like, delete, delete, delete. Even though now I look back and I'm like, why did I do this? Because I would have been so much farther if I would have just like held my own. But it's like, you know, you grow up in such a small town and everybody knows everybody and you just feel so self-conscious. So I kind of dabbled here and there. I started writing a blog when I was pregnant and then 
um, I was kind of like on mat leave and I decided to start sharing stuff on Instagram. We actually moved out of Toronto and moved back, bought this tiny little cottage, which is why it was cottage living in style. And I started sharing some of that like lifestyle stuff and it blew up. Like it just, it turned into this whole big thing. And I connected with so many other women Mm -hmm. and it just, it was so nice because again, I felt like I moved out of the city back to another small town. I actually moved back to the small town that I was from just like outside. Um, So it was like a lot of like disconnect and I just, it was just easier for me to share online than it was to connect in person, for sure. which is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. So now that's kind of like changed a little bit. Um, I think the, you know, the older you get, the more sure of yourself you get and the more experiences you mm-hmm. have, you're like, this is who I am. And, um, but yeah, that it grew into like this huge thing. And now this is my full-time job, my full-time career. We have employees and wow. you know, writers and it's, it's, it's honestly like my dream come true. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. And we're going to get into your story a little bit too in a minute, because you actually have an incredible story of survival and resilience, which I really, part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast was for people to hear from people like you who have been through something that really could have taken you down a different road. And you turned that into power and you turned it into this beautiful, beautiful life. So I really am excited for people to hear your story, to know that, you know, there is beauty on the other side of this pain, right? I love that. Exactly. Yeah. But before we do, I really, every episode we'd like to start, um, you know, just asking a light icebreaker, um, highlighting my favorite affirmations and mantras or things that have helped me get through those really difficult days. And I would love to hear from you what you do. So I love these um, affirmation cards. I've been using them a lot lately, like with my kids as well. Mm -hmm. Like the kids will come if they're having a hard time, they come and they pick a card and they're just so good. Today's actually was courage is my power. It says I'm, I'm courageous. I'm powerful. I'm brave. Despite my fears, I chase my dreams and I stand up for what's important to me. I thought that was so good. I'm like, what a card to pull pull today. today. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yes. I love that. Um, yeah, I'm going to share mine because the last week of my life has been completely turned upside down. It's not something I've shared on social media yet. I'm going to, but I'm still digesting it. So I've had some things that have come up in the last week and what I have been doing that I haven't done in the past is giving myself the space and the time to process it and not rushing it to please other people and not rushing it to make someone else comfortable or go at their pace to make them happy. So I'm really, I've learned a lot in the last few years about taking care of myself. So I'm really just giving myself the grace and the time to work on it in my own timeline and deal with it when I'm ready. That is so powerful. Yeah, it is important. Everybody needs to just take their time. Yeah. And not be afraid to take their time. I feel Mm -hmm. like we have so much pressure to, to be, you know, our best selves at all times. Right. And And the guilt. Sometimes it's, that's not it. The guilt, Mm -hmm. the guilt, it's constant guilt. I carry constant guilt. Yeah. 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 Enough with the guilt. We don't need that. We don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) We need t-shirts that say that. Yeah, totally. So I, I just can't wait for everyone to get to know you because if you don't follow Stephanie on Instagram, you definitely need to. But let us tell us a little bit, take us back to the beginning and where you grew up, um, who was in your family and what your family dynamic was like. So my family is honestly the best. They are truly the best. I had the best life growing up. Um, and it was in this little bubble. I felt like I was in this, t- this 
perfect little bubble until I hit, I think I was like kindergarten. And then I, I was homeschooled a little bit. My mom is actually indigenous. My dad is actually a first generation immigrant. Um, my grandparents fled Czechoslovakia and with like nothing but like a fishing rod and the clothes on their back wow. to Canada. So him, so my dad and my mom met when they were like 15 years old. So my grandparents ended up getting a cot or building this cottage on the reserve. And like the way that the reserve works is it's a tiny little island in the middle of Georgian Bay. It's like an hour and a bit outside of Toronto, which you would never guess. It's like a completely different world. Crazy. And half the island is dedicated to cottages because that's like a revenue for the band. Um, and then the other half, it's literally like a third world country. There's like no paved roads. You know, the kids are running around. There's gar sometimes the garbage dumps are burning and somebody sets fire to the garbage dumps. So it's like, it is just a completely different life. And mm -hmm. then you go, you know, 10 minutes down the road and it's like cottage life, cottage land. And crazy. it is, it's crazy. So my dad came from that kind of world um, and met my mom when they were like 15 and been together ever since. And yeah, so my dad was like an aircraft engineer. We traveled quite a lot. We actually bought like a sailboat and sailed up the intercoastal, lived on a sailboat for most of it, like most of my like childhood. And then I went to school. And I felt like that's when like a reality hit where I'm like, like, this isn't normal. This right. is, like what I'm living right now isn't normal. Um, you know, once I got to school, I remember like hearing a lot about like drug abuse, um, a lot of like alcoholism and like actually seeing it. And I know like a lot of the kids I went to school with were carrying that in like in just really bad homes. Yeah. So, and it was a lot of fighting. And I think that that's, something that a lot of reserves get like they're not like I don't know a lot of people assume that this is what reserves are like and then some parts of it are true mm -hmm. like statistically it is very true um but there was like a lot of like fighting and I just stand up for my my own and I had cousins that were there thank god but like you know a lot of it was like paving my own way and I had to learn how to take care of myself and I like resented my parents because I'm like we came from this like beautiful place we don't have to live like this right I don't think that that's something that I fully understand to this day because now as parents might like as a mother myself mm -hmm. I'm like I would never allow my child to grow up in a situation like that or be exposed to certain things yeah but yeah like a lot I think I've seen a lot very early on yeah do you remember being afraid as a child were you afraid there I do like I remember being I don't know if I was like afraid, but I remember being angry a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I was like angry. I was, I didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Like I kind of knew and, and even going to like cousins places and there was a lot of alcoholism at that time. And even talking to like my cousin and hearing what happens to her and, you know, the things that she went through. And there was a lot of like kids that, you know, were sexually abused because their parents would be at these parties. And this was the worst I don't know if it's like the worst part, but like one of the worst parts where it's such a small community that I know people that had to see their abuser every single day and the community didn't shun them, you know, Instead yeah. of shunning this person, everyone looked the other way. Yeah. So which like, you know, I understand why people have, they struggled with it and have chosen to walk down a certain path because it maybe numbs them and numbs that feeling. Um, but yeah, like 
on top of like the feelings and that fight that you're already trying to fight against an abuser or, you know, a bad situation, it's like this community is also against you as well in some cases, depending on who that person is. As a survivor of abuse, not being able to tell anyone and holding it in internally, afraid that whether they believe you or not, afraid that it's not going to change anything, right? That they're going to sweep it under the rug. Like that's traumatizing in itself. And also just acknowledging as a child and hearing these stories from your friends and your cousins, that's traumatizing for you as well. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like, you know, I think I realized early on, I'm like, I could never be a doctor or a nurse or somebody like that because I learned that I carried that trauma with me. I carried their story with me and it's like this energy. And then I ended up carrying that energy and it was like my burden for a long time Mm -hmm. until I like learned how to like not carry it all the time. Yeah. I love that you said that because it's um, something I do as well. I will carry someone else's pain. So doing this podcast has been so therapeutic for myself. But at the same time, when I'm done recording an episode, I am out like a light because I'm feeling what you're feeling. I'm internalizing what you're feeling. I'm picturing what's happening as you're describing it. And you, you know, you do the same thing. And it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Would you agree? Totally? Yeah. But and at the same time, like, it's made me so empathetic that I'm like, I tend to put myself in their shoes. This is what I would do. Or this is how I would feel if I were totally. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned, did you have any siblings growing up? Um, Like you spent a lot of time with your cousins, but did you have any brothers or sisters? So I have one sister. Um, We are like almost six years apart. So she was very young. But like, there's so much trauma too. My mom had a very traumatic life. So my grandfather is a residential school survivor. My mom was a day school survivor. And it has been like for my grandmother, she had eight um, children and all but two are left or or two are only left. And it's just been one accident after another, like drinking and driving, um, multiple car accidents. One brother had fallen off the ferry, the only ferry to go back and forth. And this was in the winter and there was no safety protocols. There still isn't. Okay. And like a lot of people, they take the risk to drive over or you go on this ferry and one winter, one of my like cousins, he fell off the back of the boat. So my uncle tried to grab him and save him and he pulled him under. They still haven't found his body. So, and you know, for years, my grandfather would go with his boat and tow like nets to try to find him. And it's like, oh, you know, like stories like that. And this has happened so many times, like, you know, and you wonder why it's almost like communities like ours get like left behind. They really do. And this you just feel Canada, forgotten about. You feel, yep. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why isn't there a bridge? Why isn't there, you know, other ways to do this? We've had like the same boats. We've had the same ferries for so long. And like poverty is like, it's incredible down there. There's no jobs. There's, it's truly like a forgotten place in Canada. Yeah. And I imagine the pull for everybody who lives there, you know, that's home, right? And the fear to go into a different culture, into a bigger city, what the fear of what does that look like for you? How are they going to accept you? Is the way they treat you going to be worse than how you're living here? Like, I imagine that 
I, I imagine it's really difficult. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly it. And then there's the stereotypes, right? Like, even in high school, I remember, like, there's been several instances where, like, I would thought, like, people accused me of stealing. Like, in stores, I would go into stores and people would accuse me of stealing. You know, I'm like, I come from a very good family. We had money. And it's like, there was no need, like I was not that type of person or, you know, accused of fighting. And it is so stereotypical. I remember one of my best friends growing up, he's like, we had to do this class project. And he was like, or we were asked, what do we want to become when we grow up? And I remember I'm like, I don't know what I said, something like very, like probably like an astronaut or something. (laughs) Like it was something (laughs) like so big where everybody else wasn't and he's like I'm just gonna become a drunk because that's what everyone thinks I'm gonna be and it was like oh and like the yeah. sad thing is is like that's literally where he ended up later in life because like he was one of those statistics he just never saw a future never saw a way out yeah which you know it's it's I can see it from that side like I feel like I've been given a chance to share because I've been able to see both sides like you know, from my grandparents' standpoint, I remember going to the opera and I remember going to Louis Vuitton and like all these like places. And then I would go back home to the reserve and I felt like I was stuck between these two worlds. I was like, I want yes. to be in this world, but I'm in this world. Like, and I felt mm-hmm. very disconnected from both. I'm like, where do I actually belong? And I still feel like that to this day in some situations. Like, I feel like I fit very well into both areas. Growing up on the reserve, it, it does feel like a forgotten place in Canada. Like Canada's completely like left us behind. Um, we recently, we still don't have high speed there. My kids are there today with my parents. So I dropped them off and my parents came yeah. on their boat, picked them up. Um, but like, we, it's almost like what we say is that we're 10 years behind in technology and everything. There's no doctor on site. There's a lot of people that the nearest hospital is like over an hour and a half. You have to take the ferry and a lot of people don't make it. Like if you have a baby or you get stuck somewhere in the winter, if the helicopter can't come get you, then there's nothing they can do. That's unbelievable. And then that's my next question would be, what if the ferry's not running? What if an ambulance needs to get to you? What like, it's mind-blowing to try and wrap your hand around the fact that this is in Canada. This is in Canada, right? And I've traveled so many places. Like I've been to Haiti, I've been to the Dominican Republic, and there are so much similarities to these like third world countries or like even second world countries. And I'm, it's just heartbreaking. And people, it's, it's this dark history within Canada that is still very much alive today. That, you know, a lot of people, they talk about residential school and this happening so long ago. And I read some comments sometimes of people being like, it happened so many years ago, give it up. But it's like, this is still very much happening today. Like there's no awareness. There's been so many times where news stations should have gotten called and there's never been a news station. There's never been a news report or anything about any of the incidents that have happened. Because if that would have happened in the mainland or anywhere else like people falling off of a ferry could you imagine the news that no. would have came out of that like there's been kids that are like some guy fell off a cruise ship that was just plastered everywhere but like these two guys have fallen off the back of a ferry that we use for transportation every day nothing 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 it's it also 
rings in my head as you're telling these stories and how the media just doesn't cover any of this and it gets no attention, what that must do to the self-esteem and the self-worth of everybody who's living there and how important they feel to society. I can't imagine that hole inside of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, when When my cousin, we were just talking about this recently, I'm like, what could I do? Because I do have this presence. What can I do? And I do Mm -hmm. have these relationships with people that I feel like would a hundred percent want to help. I'm like, what could we do to help even the younger, the girls? I felt like as a teenager growing up there, it was very difficult. And I can't imagine now when, you know, you see social media, but you don't recognize yourself in anybody on social media. You know, you see all And you actually, I just watched your stories yesterday um, about the Barbie doll situation. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And your yeah. daughter asking why there's no Barbies that look like yeah. her. That's and it, it blew, yeah. yes, it blew my mind at, you know, the lack. Cause what, what was it? Like these Barbies haven't been made since the nineties. Since the nineties. And there's only ones in regalia. So it's like, I think that I found two and only one is in like regalia, which is like, you know, it, it's this cultural way, but it feels so old school to me. Like there's more modern day ways of representing us. I'm actually going to reach out to Mattel. Like that is I on love my that. list you to should. do because I'm like, yes. there has to be some representation because like, if my daughter's asking, can you imagine how many other little girls are asking, especially mm-hmm. now that we do have access to social media. When I was growing up there, like we had one TV that only worked a certain time because like a lot of the time Hydra would go out or it it wasn't like, it was a couple years ago that we had Hydra to the entire island, a phone. Like, it's just so insane how yeah. far behind it is. Yeah, it's just, it's wild to me that it's painful. Isn't, it is very painful. It is very painful, especially, yeah, like now I can see it so clearly for what it is. Something that I've spoken about a lot in past episodes is generational trauma yeah. and the impact that it it has on generation after generation and how it yeah. takes one person to know, you know, break those cycles and shed light on the things that everybody's looking away from and nobody yeah. wants to talk about. Right. And I, I'm curious, like, how has this showed up for you and your family? Honestly, generational trauma ended with my mom. My mom made the very like She's like, I made the decision that this was going to end with me because, you know, her growing up was in this very tumultuous home. She was in a very unstable environment, drinking, drugs, fighting constantly. And she's like, I just don't want that for you guys. So she tried so hard to pull us away from that entire mess. But I do feel like, you know, no matter what you do, even making those right choices, my sister has, she is exactly what we would paint a picture of generational trauma because she grew up like I did. We have gone through a lot of trauma in our life, especially like going through school and boarding, which we'll get into. Um, but she is struggling with drugs. Like she, we are just the, a tale of two sisters grew up the exact same way, you know, exact same mindset, exact same parents. And she is just struggling very hard with drug abuse right now. And that's mm-hmm. a whole other subject because that, that there is no help on reserves. It's you are shunned. It's, 
everybody looks away from it and there's no doctors. There's no, sadly, there's no therapy. There's nothing like to even access therapy. You would have to go to the mainland instead of having like the therapy come to you or even having that opportunity to have therapy. I will say like even having the opportunity to speak to somebody on the phone or online that has changed since COVID that Mm -hmm. has opened whole new doors for us that that is probably one of the positive things that came out of COVID because they actually started bringing down people to the reserve like um, therapists and doctors instead of us coming into town so we're trying to look at why can't that stay because that did reverse when 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 things went back to normal um because now people are having to travel and transport back to town so for example my sister along with like a lot of other people there they're struggling with opiate addictions i think that that's something that is very rampant right now and not just mm-hmm. like our community but a lot of communities and so is the therapy to get off those medications. So like methadone or, or any of those clinics and they are having to travel. So they have to figure out how to get from their house to the ferry. They take the ferry over to the mainland. And then from the mainland, they have to figure out how to get into town. That whole process is at least a few hours. And then, so they're going there, getting their methadone drink and then coming back. So that whole, that takes up the entire day. I, this is really hard for me to wrap my head around because number one, asking for help is so difficult Yeah, to have the courage to ask for help, to have the courage can also considering the community where you live, that there's a lot of shame around it. And there's, you you know, like, I just, I can't understand how they're expecting you. I don't even, I'm at a loss for words because it's it's very overwhelming to me. Asking for help is very, very difficult. Being ashamed of where you came from is so, so you drown in it. Right. And I mean, my circumstances were different, but I was very ashamed of where I came from. And it's really embarrassing to ask for help, especially when you feel judged and you don't feel seen and you don't feel taken care of. And then they expect you to get from point A to point B in this very difficult way. Yes. It just, no wonder the success rate is so low. Exactly. Exactly. It's something that, you know, I would like to advocate more for, um, just because now I have this whole other experience of actually watching this happen. And then it's, people are like, oh, you can't get a job, but you can't do this. And it's, how do you expect to even get into like a normal, live a normal life or even get into a normal routine knowing that that's how you have to get your drink every day. And if they miss it, say that it's bad weather, the ferry stops working, they are sick, and then they miss getting their carries or whatever it is. And it's just so many hurdles that we have to face compared to other people. Like, you know, I think a lot of people carry trauma and they go through a lot of things in their life, but I don't think that there's this many hurdles for them to jump through in order to live a normal life or to even recover from that trauma. Yeah, it's, you're, you're a hundred percent right. It is, there's a lot less hurdles and it's really, really heartbreaking to watch this happen. And speaking of hurdles, you know, reading your story and talking to you a little bit, you were actually sent away from your home to go live on the mainland, to go to school when you were 12 years old. Yeah. And can you imagine how much that relates to like my grandfather being a residential school survivor? Already. Yeah. And how triggering that must have been how for your family. Triggering. Oh my gosh. How triggering. So I was 12. So I actually got skipped ahead of grade. So I was even younger 
going to school. My sister was seven because there at the time there was no help for she had a learning disability. There was no help for her there. Um, and so she was also sent away. And basically how it works, the government funds these homes, these boarding homes, because it's too dangerous for us to go back and forth every day because so many people have quite literally died going over on the ice or on the boat and you miss so much school. And this was like the fact that we were even put on this reservation. It's a, you're segmented from society, um, segregated from society. And now you're being forced to try to live a normal life to get an education past grade eight. So grade nine to 12 and then onward, you had to be on the mainland. There is no high school. From what I was told that are, there just isn't, nobody wants to work there. No, there's a lot. They have a really hard time keeping teachers for our grade eight year. I had 13 teachers because they kept quitting. Oh my goodness. Nobody wanted to stay. The pay is obviously not great. You're on this secluded little island and I'm sure they have to deal with a lot going through like a cultural change. And then you have a white teacher coming in to teach indigenous kids. So I'm sure like from both ends, that's a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So going into grade 12, we were in boarding homes. I can't even tell you the number of boarding homes I've been through. I remember leaving in the middle of the night. I felt like an animal. Like I felt like I was a pet. Some of these people, they were like, you know, I don't know. They had what appeared to be a normal family. The one boarding home that I had, and this was like my first boarding home or one of the first people you don't know. My parents don't know. Nobody knows. I don't even think that there's background checks for any of this. It's an, it's an extra source of money. So they get like, at the time when I was in school, it was like four to $800 per student. So they would bring in these students and feed them and then just make sure they get to school. I don't even think that people were making sure. But I honestly felt like this strange, like I was a pet to them. I came into this family, they had a family dynamic, and I was like brought to live in like their attic. And that was like my little home. Oh my gosh. Was your sister with you? So she wasn't, which is even like worse. Um, she went to live with like a friend, but like we still don't know. And this is still like a topic. So I don't know like what happened, like if she was abused or what had happened. She was so little going to live with this random family to like, look after this little girl. And it was just like, things didn't work out. And then you started feeling really bad about yourself. You're like, what's wrong with me? Why aren't these working out? Why do they hate me so much? Because none of these places would work out because I'm like, I would want to go out with my friends or connect with somebody from my home or my cousins. And like, it was until that point, I never left home. I'd never been away from my parents, never eaten any other food that my parents had cooked. You know, it was just such a shock. And it went from like home to home and one of the worst places. And it was somebody that we knew from the island and they were a drug addict. They would smoke crack in their basement all hours of the night. And like to that point, I'm like, it used to be my safe place. So I couldn't focus in school. And I was always like a top student. I remember teachers making remarks like the apple doesn't fall far from the apple tree. like implying that I guess I was going to be a drug addict, you know, myself or a dropout. I remember a teacher calling me. She's like, pulled me aside. She's like, can I tell you something? She's like, you kind of make yourself sound stupid from talking. Literally. I'm like, wow. Like it was just one hurdle. 
you, how traumatizing, first of all, I mean, you went from a loving family into survival mode immediately with no, I can't imagine what that did to you. Oh my God. I remember the one, it was grade nine. I dropped like 30 pounds. I didn't eat. I like, didn't know what was wrong with me. My mom would take me to the doctors. They would, I was like prescribed lorazepam at like whatever age that was. And I'm like, it's just was not getting better and I mm-hmm. just hated it and I went and I like was just went through this really hard stage where I rebelled like I turned I was drinking I was partying at like 16 years old and just hanging out with bad crowds because that's what felt comforting to me and like people accepted me at that you know yeah. and I felt like you know it's like you no matter what you did it just nothing would work out for you. It wasn't a home. All I wanted to be was at home. One of me and my best friends, we this was like one winter. We were so homesick. So we're like, we're gonna take a bus. Or I don't remember if it was a cab or we hitched a ride with somebody. But we got down to Cedar Point where where the ferry brings you over. And it was the middle of winter. There was a snowstorm. We were waiting at this like little shack for hours for the boat to come and it never came. So we're like we're just going to walk over at that time. We didn't have cell phones. There's no cell phone service down there anyway. Like the Island has very little cell phone service. And I remember walking over getting frostbite. We walked over. We didn't know where we were, but I just remember just keeping like trying to walk over because that's how bad I wanted to go home. Like it was so Yeah, You didn't care what happened. I didn't care what happened. We could have been dead. Like we could have easily died. We could have fallen through the ice. Um, like there's times where we have literally stolen a canoe to canoe across in the middle of the night because I wanted to get home so bad. There was like nothing that would stand in my way of making sure I would get home. Yeah. I mean, it got like progressively worse. Even when my sister was there, I don't think my parents knew any better. You know, they were trying to do what they thought was right. They had no idea what was actually going on because I don't think I could vocalize what was actually happening. Yeah. I don't think I understood for myself what was actually happening. Yeah. And to me, it was just something that people in our community did. Like it was just something that we had to do. And I thought everybody had to do it. Like I thought this was something that normal people did. And I like, Mm -hmm. I just couldn't understand why life was so hard. And I remember like being at this one um, boarding home and there was drug dealers coming in and out. There was like pimps coming in and out. And my little sister was there and I remember trying to protect her so much. And I remember like, even like some of the guys that I grew up with were trying to protect her, trying to get her away from there. But it's like, you know, I look back on that time and I'm like, I should have done something else. Like I should have helped her in some way. Instead, I like watched her do drugs for the first time. And I think she must have been like grade nine, grade eight. Like it was like why couldn't I stop that from happening? Because that's something that like I guilt that I carry now because I'm like, maybe if I would have stopped her from doing that at that point, she wouldn't be where she is now struggling with it. But, you know, I, I hear you so loudly on this, Stephanie. I, I, I mean, you've heard my story too. And I mean, I feel the same way about my brother and it is the hardest. It's like, it will haunt me for the rest of my because life. Because with me, I'm like, I can deal with it. I know the power in me to deal with my own trauma. But for me not to have stopped 
this from happening for her who I felt like she was so innocent it's just it kills yeah. me and like especially as now I'm sure you know as like a parent yourself you see that in them and your own children and it's like it's it's heartbreaking it makes me mad at I went through this you know I was listening to your story too and it is like different stages of healing or grief because I went through this phase where I was so mad I was so angry I was angry at everybody and I still feel that way I still feel angry but it's almost like I'm trying to forgive it because it I just carry it with me that anger is just harmful to me because it really is at the end of the day it's it's me that carries that anger and it just does nothing good for myself but I think doing so like even talking about this and this is something I've carried for so long that even like my husband doesn't know a lot of the stuff that has happened because I just it's so hard for me to acknowledge that we are part of Canadians that are left behind like we honestly are there's a group of us that are being left behind you know there's so much work that is being done for immigrants but what about us like where the where does all that money go because we don't see any of it that reserve doesn't see anything like there's like roads that still need to be paved there's so much work that needs to be done we should be hiring good teachers I actually that's actually Mm -hmm. why I got into teaching in the first place because I really wanted to make a difference I was like if I could be the light for some of these children especially a lot of the kids that are going through CAS a lot of these children, you know, there's a really high rate of children being taken away from parents, not just because uh, that they're addicts or or alcoholics. It's because the culture, like, honestly, it's so CAS would do these checks into your home. And because our homes would look different than other people's homes, yeah. um, because we didn't have access to a lot of things. Like, could you imagine somebody coming oh. into your house and saying there's no clean water? It's because we don't have access to clean water. You know, yeah, no kidding, yeah, it's like you right? don't have food in your fridge because there's no jobs here to even have, have yeah. that, you know, and then there's no money to be made. There's honestly zero jobs on a little island, unless, you know, like there's council jobs and there's stuff, but it, again, it's like, there's a lot of nepotism, unless you're a part mm-hmm. of a family that is already in council, that's the only way you're going to get these jobs. Um, and there's obviously no chance of you leaving. The first boat leaves at eight o'clock. So like, right. how are you supposed to start a job at seven? No, I've for had- sure. You know, and it's really interesting to hear you say all that too, about children, a high rate of children being yeah. taken away from their families. Yeah. And to me, that is a direct, ex- like, example of generational trauma because I imagine that parenting skills were not learned or lost because children had no role models to follow they were being sent away and the 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 effects of it just accumulated over generation after generation 100% and I think too over time that it's become it's 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 one of these things that have been talked about but like you've heard whispers, you've heard whispers of stories of Mm -hmm. things that have happened, especially like residential school. So my grandfather was in residential school for 12 years. He finally got to go home because he ran away. He was found on like a track, a railway track. This was in like Spanish Ontario. And he was almost dead. He was in the hospital for three months and they finally sent him home. The story with that is so 
somebody had killed my grandfather's dad. And so his mom was a widow. So one day they were at school and she was out in the farm with her youngest and she was out there farming or doing whatever. And the Indian worker came down and took the kids without her knowledge. So she went to the school to pick up her kids and they were gone. That was the last time she had ever seen them. So could you imagine like, oh my gosh, isn't that so terrifying? And you know, living terrifying, traumatizing. I, there's so many, so many words that I could use to fill in the blanks. I think too, like it's still unspoken, but there is, especially with CAS, like, um, with them taking children from the hospitals, I've seen paperwork and especially the field that I was in before where they do have a high success rate of taking indigenous babies. There's actually a lawsuit that just happened that my friend was part of where he was taken wrongfully and sold and the government had to pay them out. And this was literally so recent as in the last like decade. Like in our modern world. In our modern world. Could you imagine? Because now no. I see this and it's like, we're all just continuing on in our daily life. And I'm just like, there's so much that is going on. And it's just, it's so hard for me to accept. And it's, it feels like a never ending fight. It honestly does. For sure. I mean, um, these residential schools were essentially just like an ins- an assault on indigenous people and their culture and their families. Yeah. And now we've done this to them and there's no resources and we've forgotten about them. We've created this, this problem. Yeah. And now no one wants to do anything. Nobody wants it. to do anything. And then especially with like our reserve, and this isn't the situation with all reserves, but for our reserve, it's like, we're doing the same thing. We were in such a segregated part of society that, we had this tiny little community lived in this bubble and then we go to venture out to get an education to get a standard education that everybody in Canada should be entitled to and in order to get that education we had to jump through so many hoops and hurdles and and be traumatized in the process and then expect to learn and create a lovely life for yourself which really seems impossible exactly and then while teachers don't understand why they're like why aren't you learning you know, you're just a dropout and all this, because there was sometimes like you would go into boarding homes that didn't have food. They wouldn't have food. So you would go home and there'd be nothing to eat. So did you get to see your parents on weekends and stuff? Would you get to go home or what was the longest amount of time you went without seeing your family? Typically you could go home every other week or every other weekend. There would be a bus that would bring you back down and back home. Um, But the thing is, a lot of people didn't have money to even go home. Like they didn't have the money or their parents didn't have the food there to even go home. So there's a lot of times where they they wouldn't see you. Like my parents, they would try to come in and and see us because they had another vehicle. But a lot of families, they don't have a single vehicle to even see them or pick them up or anything. I mean, a lot of parents probably felt that they had no choice. They had no choice. And I'm sure that they felt they went through that as well. They went through boarding as well. So until recently, it only went up to grade six on the island. And in the last right. couple of years, it went to grade eight. So I don't think that there will be a much, like a change anytime soon. I don't think that there will be a high school there anytime soon, just because the population is so small. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about your own experience, and I don't know if you're comfortable answering this question, but from, you know, sitting from where I am and feeling your story and hearing you talk about it. My question is, did you resent your parents in any way growing up? 
through those teen years? Oh, definitely. I think I, this isn't, sometimes I feel like I still do. I feel like, yeah, how could they have let this happen? And I think that they're both dealing with their own trauma in their own way. But part of me feels like it was such a selfish thing to do. Um, even though so many other people have gone through this experience, but I don't know very many success stories. I actually yeah, don't know a single one that I can honestly talk about that has had you are. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully I can be that light to others. I like I, I've had people that have known me forever or are from the same place that I'm from, like stop me and say, like, you are so inspiring. Like for them to do that and go out of their way you to are. do that. Like even though I don't feel like I am, I feel like, you know, I still have so much more to go. But hopefully, you know, this will raise a little bit of awareness and maybe get some change happening. But yeah, like back to my parents, like I did, I resented them and I still feel resentment to them because I think that they chose to live there. I don't know if it was like the money situation or what it was that they thought that they were making a good choice. But like at the end of the day, it was me and my sister that suffered. Like we're the, we're the true cost of their success now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like they're both retired. They're both living you know, a very good life. And I feel like me and my sister have just carried so much trauma for them to get to that point. Yes. At your cost, you feel at times, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine. I can't imagine either. I mean, as a mom, right? Like it's, it's incredible that you are where you are and that you have really pushed through to change the narrative and change, you know, your story and where it's going. It's incredibly brave. And it's not I I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that you probably feel this way too, but I always say like, I have no business living this life. Like statistically speaking, I have no business living this life. I don't know why I am. I don't know why I chose this route. I, I often feel guilty about it. Sometimes it's the consuming it is overwhelming because I, I can't grasp it and I don't know why, but at the end of the day, I am so So grateful. grateful. That so I do. grateful. It's exactly mm-hmm. how I feel. It's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, it's hard to yeah. grasp, right? Why, why you're living this life, right? It's it's just beautiful, though. At the end of the day, and I imagine the guilt that you probably carry for your sister, which you know, Stephanie, you were you did everything you were capable of in that yeah. moment, and you need to stand in that and be proud of yourself. Yeah, that you you are who you are. You did everything you were capable of. You really did. It's hard to understand that though when you when you're feel, I remember people saying that to me and it would just bounce totally. off me like putty. Like I was just like, you know, I, I get, I hear you, but I don't feel yeah, you, exactly. but it will come. Yeah. It will come. And I'm curious what your relationship is like with your sister today. We're close. We're not as close as we should be just because she, I chose to separate myself from that lifestyle. I chose, I just, I couldn't follow her where she was going. I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, and I had to create boundaries, even though it kills me. Um, but I think we are on really, we're, we're on good terms. And, you know, as long as she's open to healing and when she's ready to heal, I will be there for her. Um, but it's, again, it's something like we've tried so many times to get her into rehab and all that. She's just not ready. She's just mm-hmm. not there yet. Um, 
but I am grateful that we do have a relationship. Like we do have something, we do have a connection. We hear from each other every other day. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a lot. And I think that that is a completely other subject, but like the drug abuse and the addiction just skyrocketed during COVID. Like we just seen it, especially, yeah. And especially on such a small little reserve, we see the numbers and we Mm -hmm. actually, the hard part is, is that you can hear all the numbers you want, but especially seeing those people and knowing those people, it's completely different. Even for the people that did get sick with COVID, like we know those people, Mm -hmm. we just seen them yesterday or the day before that's our cousin or whoever it is. It's like it impact, the impact that that has on such a tiny community is, is massive. Oh, for sure. When you put a face to a number, it's it's painful. It's really painful. One thing, because I grew up with a drug-addicted mom, and I watched this documentary by Dr. Gabor Mate a little while ago. Um, I think it was called like The Connection and Trauma or something like that. And it really changed. I grew up very angry about addiction, thinking like, this is not a disease. Like, yes. This is a fucking Which choice. is exactly how my husband is. Exactly. Like his, his story is very similar. Yeah. Yes. And I was angry. And after watching this documentary, I have to say it completely changed how I look at addiction. And it is one of the most powerful movies I've ever watched. And I think everybody who everybody knows somebody who's been impacted, you know, by addiction in some way, shape or form. And it changed how I looked at it. And I no longer see my mother as this evil villain in my story. I see her as somebody with like severe trauma that was completely unhealed. And I was, you know, I was railroaded by it, unfortunately, but it does, you know, trauma is a direct addiction and trauma definitely have a correlation and a connection. And I think like what you're doing for your sister and keeping that door you're keeping yeah. boundaries, which is so important for you and your family, but keeping that connection for her. He talks a lot in that movie about tra- um, drug abuse and connection wow. and how yes. important that is to healing. And it is the the success rate of drug addicts and alcoholism that come out of it. They The key is connection and you're giving her that gift. So just so you know, like, even when you feel like you're not doing enough for her, that connection is all you can do yeah. right now, right? And we all know that even in your healing process, that there's no healing possible until you're ready, until you're ready to face the trauma and deal with it. And you are really giving her a gift by keeping that connection. Yeah, that's beautiful. Honestly, you're, you're, you're doing so a great right, job. Though. The connection is, and I, and that probably is why like it amplified, like COVID amplified a lot of addiction because you lost that connection with people. You Mm -hmm. couldn't see them. You couldn't, you know, talk to anybody and you were by yourself to sit alone with your thoughts for so long, especially people that are single or anything like that. Right. Or didn't have family and yeah. Mm -hmm. Or already had trauma and they, they can't sit still. They can't do like, I can't imagine, of course, of course they're reaching for those things right to to get a break from the pain so it's it's awful yeah I think that you have done such a beautiful job and I'm really curious you know what um what did you do to navigate your trauma and what resources did you lean on to to be the amazing person you are today I think you know what therapy has been huge they're accepting therapy accepting help um they're that is the key help exactly because for a long time I felt like if I 
spoken or said anything that I would be a weak person, that I was letting it win somehow, that I was letting the trauma and everybody that did me wrong, that I was letting them win. But it turns out like speaking it and telling my truth has been the best thing to happen because I feel lighter. I honestly feel lighter. I think I exude that and I talk in a different way now that I'm not trying to cover up or mask any pain or trauma. Um, a big help for me too has been connect. You know what? To be honest, I, I hated being indigenous. I remember lying to people and telling them that I wasn't because I was so ashamed to be indigenous. I was like, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not like everybody else. I like wanted a completely different life. I like literally tried to move to Toronto and live this completely other life because I was like, I'm not going to live like this. Like this will not be my life. And um, part of that healing journey has been connecting me back to who I was, connecting me back to who I am, connecting back with my mom, with my grandparents with everybody else um and just really acknowledging like this is where I'm from I remember I couldn't even tell people where I was from like I would lie to people if they asked where I was from because I felt so ashamed I felt like they didn't get it like they're like they look at me and they judge me and I would talk so different or or different than what they thought I should be and then they would find out I'm from yeah. this and it's, I just felt like I thought I would be judged. But like part of my healing journey is going back to that and being proud of where I'm from, being proud of who I am. And that has changed my life in so many ways because now I'm like, I never want my daughter to feel that way. I never want her to feel yes. like she's ashamed because it is so powerful. I saw this, actually one of my cousins sent it to me. She's like, you know, our our grandparents didn't just leave us with generational trauma. They left us with a lot of power too. And it's so true. Cause like there's strength. So true. And everything that they've gone through, you know, that has carried on as well. It's not just the negatives. There are a lot of positives because it is resilient. We are resilient. You know, you're resilient. I'm resilient. And hopefully we can show other people that they have it in them as well. Like you don't have to be a statistic, right? Like you, you can make that choice. I don't care if you think it's so late. Like, I don't care if you're 40, 50, 60, 70, and you're like, today's the day I'm going to change. I'm going to have the courage to be resilient. You have to make that choice. And hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, once my daughter goes through things, because she will, I think even her being in school right now, I'm like, not everybody has to like you. There are going to be bad days. You'll get into fights, but don't let that get to you. You are resilient. Yes. That's a huge thing. Yes. And I wish I knew that. And her watching you, right? Her watching you is like the greatest gift that you can give her. Just to, you know. It's powerful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You said something today on your Instagram, actually, that stopped me in my tracks. And I was watching your story and you said, I have walked the walk to get to where I am. And I was just like, boom, that is powerful. That is the most powerful thing that I've heard somebody say. And you just, you were so proud and you were so a matter of fact. And it like the emotion that that brought up in me, it was just, 
yeah, you have walked totally. the walk and look where you are, Stephanie. Like I'm in awe <laughs> of you. Like, I just think that it, you have created this incredible space and you coming on my podcast to share your story and shed light on what's happening in a community today in Canada where people you love are residing and how you are forgotten about. It's just you standing up and doing this for them, being a voice for everybody there is so impactful. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. Honestly, thank you for even giving me this opportunity because like, there's just so many times where I feel like I should be saying more, or I think, you know, this online space is so big. Also, at the same time, I feel like I've been through so much that it's just so minimal now. Like when people, I haven't had very many negative comments, but if I do, it just doesn't even hurt. Like I'm like, I've been through so much. Yeah. There is nothing you could say (laughs) that would make me feel any different. That is so true. Right. It's powerful when you get to that point because you stop being insecure, you stop caring and you're just like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And you know, since you've launched your Instagram, you've formed this incredible community. And I'm curious how that's helped you in your healing journey. Honestly, it's done so much. It's opened so many doors, specifically working with brands, though, like opening the doors to seeing representation. We just did a collaboration with Walmart and the amount of messages, not even that I got, but my husband would get from people he used to work with in Alberta or BC. And they'd be like, I just saw you in a Walmart ad. And just to have that representation was huge. My family shared it, the whole reserve. Like we have this online community, um, Facebook thing, Facebook group, and that was shared. And like, people were just so proud to see somebody that looked like them being represented in these brands. So that really has fueled me to really go for it. I'm like, there's just, well, it's not just a win for you. It's a win for everybody. Right. Exactly. And like, hopefully that will show like the, you know, the other little girls, this is my hope is that I can show other little girls, not necessarily like from reservations, but even small secluded places where they feel like they don't belong, where they're like, I don't talk. I don't act the way other people do. I used to wear dresses and I would love makeup and I would, you know, I would be the girliest girl, but I didn't fit in with everybody else. But there is so much power in being yourself. And I wish somebody would have told me that from the get go. Like there's no dream that is too small because especially nowadays where social media, you have access to the world at your fingertips. If you want to start a blog or you have something to say, use that voice. Don't be afraid. I wish I didn't care what other people think. And I think since I got to like my thirties and just really focused on healing, I just feel so confident in my decisions and who I am. And, you know, I used to feel so shamed I used to feel so shameful mm-hmm. and now I just don't I'm like it's something that I've gone through it's made me who I am and yeah I and love I hope that. other people could feel like that too totally which actually brings me to my next question I would love to know what would you tell younger your younger self little Stephanie what would you tell her I was thinking about this the other day I actually wrote this down and I was like what would I tell myself I would tell myself not to be afraid to be myself to be exactly who I am because I feel like for the longest time I was trying to find myself I think to the identity thing I had an identity crisis that I was this indigenous girl from this reserve and I just didn't fit in anywhere I didn't fit in on the reserve because like my home life was great I didn't fit in on the mainland because I was an indigenous girl and 
I just, there's so much power in you that it's okay to be unique. Now I feel like there's nobody else that has the same story. And that is powerful. No, it's amazing. That is really powerful. And you know, that makes me think about what I would yeah. want to tell my younger self. And I, every time I do an episode, I'm, I say like, I could do an entire totally. episode on just what yes. I would tell my younger self. But you know, one thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, you are just one decision away from a completely different life. Good or I bad. I love that. Right? Good or yeah. bad. Yeah. Just one decision. Wow. And it's a really powerful thing that I keep telling myself over and over to this day, because my life keeps changing, and I keep trying to do better. And I think that that's really important, even with, you know, your story and bring shedding light to these communities that are forgotten about. And I just think that if people could be more understanding of your yeah. losses, and just like not judge based off of stereotypes, totally. maybe we, maybe could, we get could get somewhere. Yeah. Right? And I think like, yeah, yeah, you're doing a really incredible thing for all of your community. And I'm just, I'm Thank really you. proud of you. Thank you. Honestly, it's, it's been amazing being able to even share that. Like it's, this is stuff that I yeah. have not even talked about in so long. Oh, I love that you are doing this with <laughs> I'm me. Like, it's just, there needs to be more said. We actually watched, um, it's called Little Bird. It's on Crave. That is so powerful. It is so true. I have, that is our part of our story. A lot of that is part of our story. So if anybody is interested, they should watch that. Um, that is a very, yeah, that's a very true like representation of kind of what is happening. Like, especially like even to this day, I know that was like, I don't know, in the nineties or whenever that was based upon, but that is happening right now. And I think that, you know, that, that really set me on a path. I wrote this whole story about the forgotten people. And like, there needs to be a book. Who you need to write a book. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I'm like, Aww. who knows where this is going to go now? Yeah, big dreams, girl. I love it. So Stephanie, where can everyone find you on social media? So you can find me at stephanie.viner, V-A-I-N-E-R on Instagram or Cottage Living and Style on pretty much everywhere. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week.